You're listening to Tramshed Presents. In this edition, the UK's queen of queerlesque, Ruby Jones, gives us their take on the power of performance. We'll hear why lip sync is such a big thing on the drag scene, and we'll get Ruby's personal insight into what it takes to make a living in cabaret. Plus, Tramshed's Andre Pink explains the different ways the organisation supports emerging artists. We'll find out why he wanted Ruby Jones to be part of Tramshed's current progression programme for young talent. And he'll tell us why he wants to lip-sync his mum as part of his own work. All that right here on Tramshed Presents. Thanks for joining us for the Tramshed's new podcast, Tramshed Presents. I'm Jason Caffrey, and I'm delighted for this first ever edition <laughs> to welcome to our pop-up studio here at Tramshed, the company's progression producer, Andre Pink. Welcome, Andre. Thank you. And an artist who describes themselves as the hairiest burlesque performer in the world, <laughs> the, the queen of queerlesque. Ruby with the three wise Jones. Welcome, Ruby. Oh, thank you, darling. Hello. <laughs> and I'm really pleased to see you in good spirits at the end of uh, a long day. Yes, it uh, was long and fabulous. And you've been teaching something that I know is, is very special to you, which is lip sync today. Yes, it was full lip sync day, 10 a.m. till 5 p.m., full focus lip sync magic. We're, we're going to get into it just a moment. Okay. But, uh, it, it's happened because of... Andre, really, because as the progression producer, Andre, you've you decided what was going to happen this season, didn't you? So. Yeah, yeah. So this season uh, is called Sequins, Panties, and Mustaches, and it's a celebration of uh, cabaret, drag, burlesque, and subversion. And obviously, like one of the first names that came to my mind, and was Ruby Jones. Actually, uh, it, this season really started because I went to see her showcase. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, Ruby, uh, she she taught uh, a very dear friend of mine, Fernanda Mandagara, who is a, a Brazilian. I'm Brazilian, by the way, the, the accent. Um, and uh, Fernanda took part of your course. A queer last course. Exactly. And I went to see it. And that's where the seed of the season started. Wow! Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, th- th- therefore, we don't. We have C- uh, Ruby teaching, running this uh, this amazing masterclass today. Another one on new burlesque, but we also have a masterclass in in drag with Pex and Dolly Trolley to um, get a, a collective of drag kings and a drag queen. And we have um, Lucy McCormick, which kind of brings uh, the subversion. I mean. There's a bit of subversion everywhere, actually, in the in the season. But Lucy is definitely, I think, she raises the flag. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Let's uh, get back into lip sync. Okay. I mean, for people who are coming to it new, and I'm going to put my hand up here. Yes. I'm one of them. Okay. What is it? So lip sync is the performative action of using someone else's voice, either spoken or sung, to be your voice on stage. And so you would move your mouth and your body and yourself as if that performance was coming out of you. That's lip sync. And it's a big thing on the drag scene. Yes. Why? 
I think there's two reasons. One of the history of lip sync definitely comes from female impersonation, i.e. people who were in drag specifically to give the illusion of being a female or a male, depending. Then it's one thing to be able to look like Whitney Houston. It's another thing to be able to sound like Whitney Houston as well. And I think that's like a really amazing and important part of the history as well because one of the earliest uses of lip sync was through drag queens and I was actually saying in the workshop earlier there's like a technical use of lip sync that you would see in film and tv i.e like to record a music video someone would lip sync if it's a live band lots of people lip sync so it was something that existed but it kind of went to another level through the art of drag and um, it's become even bigger thing because then it makes drag more accessible to people. There was a period of time where if you couldn't sing, you couldn't be a drag queen. Now, don't get me wrong, lots of people still sang, but <laughs> maybe not everyone would feel like they could essentially. And so with the freedom and the possibilities of lip sync, that's just made... Yeah, more people get more into it and more excited. And also drag has just exploded in the last five years, like to a whole other level. And a lot of drag does involve lip sync. And it's not exclusive, of course, but it's a huge part of it. So the more drag, the more lip sync. And what makes a, a good lip sync performance? Because I dipped into some of the masterclass and, mm -hmm. and you were throwing out just comments about some of the videos that you were showing and really flagging specific techniques there's clearly a uh, a vocabulary in mm -hmm. lip sync so mm -hmm. so i think the biggest thing with lip sync is a co big commitment you know it's a commitment to la match the the lips uh, to the voice but also it's the word lip sync is really misleading it makes us think like that's where the performance begins and ends but actually to be able to lip sync it is a full acting performance where you have the obstacle of someone else's performance that you have to channel and perform whilst also you are performing and sometimes subverting what the performance actually is so it's very complex actually and there's lots of things involved it is very much a uh, act of acting more than anything else though for sure I just want to dip in to I've got a, a little bit of an introduction to you with your masterclass mm -hmm. today just getting your students into a, the right mindset let's just hear that so stream writing is I'm going to give you a little prompt of a couple words and you'll have a time limit of a few minutes and then you're going to put your pen to paper or your fingers to, to screens and you're just going to start typing or writing. And the main thing with this is you want to keep writing or typing even when you run out of things to write or type. So sometimes good when I run out of things to say, I'll just write, this is really boring, this is really boring, or I don't know what to write, I don't know what to write, until something comes back again. So we're just going to kind of make a little bit of space in our brains, essentially. The words that you're going to use are me lip syncing, dot, 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 me lip syncing, dot, 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 and I'm going to put on a timer, and you're going to just let that brain go. We're not going to share this. We're not going to tell anyone. This is just for you and to make some space in your noggin. <laughs> so it's clearly important to get into the right headspace when you go into a lip sync performance. Yes, it's really important. And stream writing, um, it's got other names, stream like conscious writing or free writing or whatever. But I really love to use that because as performers, it's really important that we let go of some of our day or things that might affect us being present in a room. And the free writing just kind of 
as I said, makes a little bit of space in yourself for you to be able to then have more space to process or perform or whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, even the most frivolous of lip syncs require a lot of focus and energy and, and preparation. And it lives very much in a LGBTQ plus world. Is it a queer skill? So I would say there is definitely a queer history to it. And I always say, some people say to me, well, I can't lip sync because I'm not queer. I'm like, well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> but essentially, I think it's more about being aware of the history and being aware that it is um, something that maybe doesn't necessarily belong to you. And so if you are going to therefore use it, that you understand it and you understand the history and you're giving it the respect that it's due. I think that's um, really important. Yes the history of it is essentially queer for sure um but queers love to share so <laughs> we're letting other people use it <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much very generous of you uh, andre i mean one of the questions that ruby put to their students earlier today was what's your first experience with lip sync how did it into your world? I mean, what's your personal uh, history I, with that? I haven't tried or done lip sync yet. I mean, actually saying that, because uh, I trained uh, with Philippe Goulier, who is a, a physical theater clowning teacher, and one of the exercises that he does in clowning is lip syncing. Oh. But basically, he just throws the song at us without knowing what it is, and then you just have to save yourself. Oh, and, uh, very clown. <laughs> very clown, exactly. So it's about kind of getting it wrong and stuff. So that's my experience. Th this is my second season as progression producer, and my first season was about the practitioners that I'm familiar with. This one, I, I kind of really like, let me bring people that uh, I want to learn from them. Then, Therefore, I just decided to invite uh, people that I admire. So I think Marisa Karneski is also a big presence in the season. She did a radical cabaret course for us. Uh, We're going to speak to Marissa in the next edition. Yes. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, actually, I took the course with Marissa. Oh, because, jealous. Because I, 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 yeah, anyway, uh, I came to her class and she said, no, you cannot watch. It's a safe space and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, what about if I do the course? And then she said, okay, if you do the course. So I ended, <laughs> I ended up creating a, a cabaret piece wow. and performing. Uh, which was super fun, and and my mother was a big piece, a uh, part in my piece, oh, and uh, and there was a lot of her voice speaking, some audio <gasps> wow. tapes, um, and I really wanted to lip sync my mum, ah. but I really felt that within the time that I have, mm. I didn't really have time to, right. you know, so after having participate I didn't take part today but I kind of watched took lots of notes and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go and try it out mm -hmm. so there might be more lip sync in my pieces in Yay. my work <laughs> so lip sync is not the full range of your performance mm -mm, that's uh, output uh, just give us a potted history of your performance career How, where, where did it start for you Okay, so um, I'm originally from Canada, and after I graduated college for music theater, I did do a few amazing jobs in Canada. I did a tour across Canada with a children's show, um, but then I moved to the UK, and that was like 13 years ago. I did the whole theater thing, giving it a go, but to be honest, I really didn't like being an actor. I couldn't fit in the box, frankly. It just, it wasn't happening. But I was doing voiceover, actually, at the time, and I really enjoyed that. So I actually stopped performing for about 18 months, which is something I just never expected I would do because I've always loved performing and always done it. And I kind of realized in that time, actually, I am a performer. And whether I'm performing or not, 
it doesn't even matter. It's just who I am. And once I understood that, I started to have the the, the drive and the impetus to start performing again. Um, and a, a lovely lady moved in with me who was studying burlesque, but she didn't have any performance training. So I'd see her in the living room, like struggling to make these dance moves. And I like studied dance for 15 years or something. So I was like, do you want a little help with that? <laughs> so I choreographed her first act, and that's what introduced me to the wonderful world of cabaret. Um, I just thought it was amazing that I could tell everyone was putting so much of themselves in it. I love that you're the director, the choreographer, the costume designer, the lighting designer, the producer, the star. I love that you have all that control and all that input. I think that's really fun and magical and full of possibilities. Well, well done for not putting star right at the top of that list. <laughs> that is honestly the thing that comes last when it comes to cabaret so many other things to consider um but yeah once I got into the world of cabaret it is such a wonderful world of so many different intersections of so many different art forms and possibilities and so many different amazing stages a lot of what I've done in cabaret has been a reflection of my own personal development as I think lots of artists um you know their life and as they change and their relationship to the world reflects in their art and that definitely is for me true of cabaret went from neo-burlesque in that of evolved further into queerlesque, which included more drag aesthetics and lip sync and maybe some more provocative themes as well. And um, yeah, the sky's, the sky's the limit. And then funnily, after I did that for about 10 years, then I started doing theater again. Because <laughs> they were like, hey, Ruby Jones, you want to be in this show? I'm like, mm, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so where's the daylight between burlesque, neo-burlesque, queerlesque? How do they differ and, and occupy their own space. Right. So they're all an evolution of each other for sure. So classic burlesque is the more kind of like stripped easy burlesque that we know of. Um, but then neo burlesque, as it's referred to, it's kind of like a funny term because I think it's like it means different things for different people. Whereas the origins of the term neo burlesque means burlesque outside of the male gaze essentially. It was burlesque that had all the fun and frivolity of body and being body and sexy and all these things, but it was not a certain body type anymore. It was not in a certain way. It was not with a certain song or a certain silhouette. It was whatever people wanted. And then, you know, further progression of society brings us to the land of queerlesque because, you know, there is definitely not necessarily possibilities for that in certain ways in the past but you know we've pushed it forward and many many lgbtqia people do burlesque but now in the time that we're in we can do it as us not dressing as straight people essentially <laughs> and what's the career arc in mm. that world well, I think it's kind of an interesting one. Like, it's not so linear in a way, especially if you're someone who's actually committed to having a career in the arts. It's not like an uphill thing the whole time. It is like a real ebb and flow. And, you know, I'm in the Burlesque Hall of Fame. I've performed in Las Vegas. I'm an international award-winning superstar. Do I also do shows for a dollar sometimes? Yes. <laughs> it is like that. And I personally, I actually really do enjoy how uh, complex it can be. But I think ultimately, as far as what is the peak or what is the height, it's like whatever it is for you. So talking about the, the drag scene, the cabaret scene, there are the, a variety of labels that apply to it and the language can vary from person to person. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's your take on that and why does that language matter? 
Right. And I think what's interesting and important about that language is like the fact that we are aware that we all have different definitions, even when we're using the same words, that we don't all mean the same thing when we're saying neo-burlesque or queerlesque or whatever it might be. And I think the continued discussions is the most important part of us having these different language options, basically. And yeah, leads to wonderful conversations like these. And so, Andre, for you, these are the kind of conversations that Presumably you're hoping that the students that come through progression will be carrying along with them as they think about where they want to go. Yeah. I think Ruby is like you spoke about the box and now you're going back to the theater. And I think that then you bring your box with you. Yes. People want Ruby Jones mm -hmm. that brings all that experience, all that work with you. And that's who they want to see on stage or maybe to collaborate with. And mm -hmm. that's because Ruby is, in a way, a role model. You are like a template of a different way of celebrating your body and using your body as, as a tool of empowerment, of criticizing norm, in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, Ruby brings a breath of fresh air into the scene. I think that there's an activism in what you do. You Definitely. agree on that? Yeah, I think yeah. that like burlesque as, as something that is really questioning what is the right body that deserves to be on stage yes. and you know which bodies do we celebrate right yeah, which I, bodies do we allow to be seen and looked yeah, at yeah, and how yeah definitely something really important yeah and i think that uh, everybody in the course today i mean today it was lip sync but the amount of love and support that you are bringing into the room and because lip sync is like it's interesting because you're using somebody else's voice but on the other hand, you're really revealing so much of you. And the choices of the songs that people make, usually they really reflect things that are vital for, for the artist. So we had really, really beautiful moments of yes. people really being very vulnerable and honest and earnest. And that is amazing. There's something revolutionary about that. I yes. Think, yeah. And I think that's like the key to Cabaret, that it is, for most people, we're working within persona. And how I explain that to my students is like, well, if you're working in a, a character, a character is like, you could go to a closet, you put on this character, that could include a look, a voice, vocabulary, all these things. But at the end of the day, you take it off and you put it back in the closet. Whereas persona, which most of us within cabaret work in, is like a part of yourself that you isolate and then bring out to the world that you expand and you express in a big way and let people see. So it's very vulnerable work for sure. Yeah. And for th there's sure. the emotional seed behind it, right? There's yes. either pride or a sadness or anger. It was interesting because we work with archetypes today, like the hero, the big bad wolf was yes. one uh, for, for you to kind of interpret the song and bring that emotional content uh, in your delivery. Like yes. we were working with uh, Tom Jones, What's new, pussycat? <laughs> and with the big bad wolf archetype, all of a sudden becomes a song about... A predator. A, a sexual predator. Yes. yes. And uh, it opens that song. It becomes something else. It becomes a piece of art. You know, and it's no wonder that there's a lot of lip sync. We haven't talked about that, but in live art, there's a lot of lip sync. Yes. In kind of, probably if you go to the West End to see Chekhov, you won't see lip sync. But if it's a German director, you might. You might. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think a lot of cabaret has intersections with live art and performance art as well. And that's also what keeps it a bit kind of wild and free and, and possible, I yeah. think. And not staying prescriptive. Like, in a way, 
cabaret, I think there is slightly a formula when it comes to building traditional cabaret, but it doesn't mean that you can't still be evocative and provocative and brand new using a formula. And a thought that I just want to pick up with both of you, talking about bringing forward those vulnerabilities and uh, expanding a persona. Workshops like today, they're, they're very important, safe spaces for young artists to explore those things. I mean, you know, in your intro, right at the beginning of the day, one of the things you said to the students is, if something is too much, just say red, I'll stop. Mm -hmm. There's a comfortable side space for you to go and yep. take yourself away. I mean, hey, it's just cabaret. Why do you need that? <laughs> well, we just dig so deep and we bring ourselves forward. And as Andre said, there's so many moments of vulnerability. And I think also because of the unfetteredness in a way of the expression, you don't always know where you're going to go. You don't always know how you're going to feel. You don't always know what's going to happen. And I've had people take my Queer Less course who halfway through realize they're gay or halfway through realize, oh, I really need to sort out this Thing with my mom because I didn't realize I was so mad at her until we did that exercise about yelling at her mom and or whatever it might be you know it's such personal work that it touches people and catches people in all different kinds of ways and that's also why I love it. I want to move things on to talking about your performance okay and just to help us into that let's just hear a little bit of you on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I'm sorry, I had to snip off the end That's there. Okay. You're out there as the hairiest, the big, the fat, and I've I've seen your work on video, and I am envious of just how comfortable you are with your body and performing in your body and using it as a performance tool. Mm. I mean, surely you didn't you didn't come into the world that way. That's a journey. <laughs> So I kind of did. <laughs> I think I kind of did. <laughs> but, you know, society is a malicious uh, situation. And so, you know, I think especially like my early work, it, it was almost like a, a dare to myself. And there's many things that I've actually done in my evolution as an artist and in my education where... For whatever reason, I was constantly pushing myself to just try something, even if I was a bit like, I'm not sure. As long as it wasn't a no, if it was just, I'm not sure, I usually would make myself do it, basically. Um, and uh, I honestly feel like there is a certain level of faking it till you make it in everything. And, you know, sometimes I'm not feeling so good and I have to gotta go on there and get totally naked and make everyone feel inspired and excited about their body and whatever. But... I think what's interesting as well about personas, sometimes I get inspired by my own persona. I'm like, you know what, Ruby Jones, whew, they did it for me today. <laughs> sometimes you need that. And yeah, no, I think, to be honest, I have been pretty mouthy my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what about venues? Because yes. um, performance venues are they're crucial. And yes. so where are those places? Where where do you like to perform? Where are you most comfortable performing as you do? So I do a lot of performance at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, which is in Vauxhall, and it's a legendary 
LGBTQIA performance venue. I love performing there. I used to have a monthly show there, which used to be at Madame Jojo's before it shut down. But what I'm really actually thinking a lot about recently is about the importance of not essentially ghettoizing ourselves as LGBTQIA cabaret people and only doing the same three venues, you know, the the Royal Vauxhall Tavern, the Glory, and, you know, whatever else. I'm interested in taking what I do and my voice to places where they don't want it. <laughs> they don't want it. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to see me. They want me to put my body away. And that's exactly where I'm interested in going a little bit further afield um, because I think there's lots that we can do to protect our venues, but I also think there's lots that is totally out of our control, unfortunately. So I want, I do and want to continue supporting the spaces that exist, but I'm also at the moment really interested in, in branching out and especially taking LGBTQIA people and performances into spaces where that's not what happens there. That sounds like a hard Very task. hard. I mean, the, you know, it's hard enough getting gigs. Yes. It's hard enough finding your way onto stage in established venues. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I guess my feeling with that is, especially as a live artist, there's so many things that contribute to our process and our understanding of ourselves in the world. And sometimes performing for an audience that doesn't give a peep is like one of the most important and valuable things that you can have. Because it's well, it's great when we go to the RVT and I do a little wink and everyone's like, Wah! and then I do a kick and everyone's like, ah, but actually it's really interesting in a totally different way to do that kind of thing in a venue where they don't care. Well, a place where the people really do care is right here at Tramshed. And the progression program is a reflection of the organization's desire to support and nurture young artists. So, Andre, how do you go about that? So um, progression is, is uh, divided in seasons, and, and each season has a theme. And there are a series of opportunities that are offered in each season, which are usually masterclasses. We have long projects, which they can be like a course. This season was with Marisa Karneski, but it could be like a company, established artists coming here and developing maybe uh, a project that they want to test an idea before they work with professional actors. And we have bursaries, which is a little bit of money towards an emerging company, and residencies where we often rehearsal space and mentoring which could be a variety of things. It could be support in writing an application for the Arts Council. It could be uh, maybe pairing them up with a, uh, with a professional that can support something that they need in their work. It can be me watching their piece and giving some suggestions. They can take it or not. It's up to them. We, we respect their voices and where they want to go with the work. So every season there's masterclasses, courses, bursaries, residencies. Let's hear from a young artist who's been involved with Progression for a little while. Her name's Nell Hardy. She's an actor, writer, director. She does some facilitating as well. And she first got involved with Tramshed a little while back, about 12 years ago, and she's been working now as an actor for about five years. It's been a long road for her because she started her career after two years homeless. And last autumn, she got back in touch with Tramshed. She approached them for some support for her work. And this season... Nell's a resident artist. I know she's very proud of that. I spoke to her on the phone and, and this is what progression means to her. I feel like the people who take part in progression, they're treated like professionals 
by all means, but the pressure's off, I suppose. So you're treated like you have the potential to make top quality work and offered the support that you need to get yourself there. No question is too stupid, but also no ambition is too great. A bit of a scratchy phone line there, but you, really what comes over from Nell is that what Progression offers is the, the right kind of support. It's saying, what is it that you want to achieve? And we're going to give you the respect and support that will enable you to do that as best you can. And I think we are starting to create a network as well in terms of like artists that want to come back here. I think that an understanding of what the program and the term chat can offer I see that there's a huge potential into programming in the theatre work that from the emerging artists or maybe collaborations in between established people, established companies and emerging artists that can all of a sudden go and be given like, let's say, a, a short run or that we can support them maybe to do a tour. So I think that uh, there are possibilities in where the program can grow and we can become really like uh, the work of emerging artists or this support become really integrated to what the Tremshed can be. And Ruby, you were nodding your head listening to Nell there when she talked about being respected as a professional, being treated as a, a professional. And, and I know you do a lot of teaching and it doesn't get much better than that as a student, does no, it, to be treated that way? No, you need space and support. Like, you know, there's very few other things I feel like we desperately need other than that as artists generally. And what it just made me think as well is just that belief, like the support is a belief in, in you and that you can make work and that you can do whatever and that it can be interesting and fascinating. And like that is totally invaluable for sure. When you talk to younger artists about making their way into the industry, what, yeah. what do you feel are the kind of bullet points that they need to take away from that conversation? I think one of the first things is just immerse yourself within the world of cabaret. You know, we have all have different options as far as accessibility, like whether we can go to live shows or whatever it might be. Thank God for the internet. You can get into wonderful rabbit holes of all different styles of performance. But I really do think seeing lots of performance live or otherwise is absolutely one of the keys to progressing within the art form. I do think as well, just doing it is a big part of it. And I actually, I got a really sweet card from one of my students at Christmas. And they just said to me, you're the first person in my life who's ever said to me, you can do it, just do it. And I never realized how valuable that would be for someone and you know maybe it's a bit of British culture as well they just don't feel like they have the same like push sometimes and when I'm like you can do it they're like yeah <laughs> like you know there's like that's all it takes is someone to be like you've got this go make some work like it is honestly incredibly important because as especially cabaret artists it's very lonely in a way very often you're working alone and to have support of a space and individuals that's a game changer. Uh, and what about some of the kind of technical bits of the industry, things like agents and producers mm -hmm. and, and stuff like this? I mean, uh, how big a part of the conversation is that? Mm, I would 
say that is maybe something that I would converse with people when they're like a little bit more established. Like I have an agent for other parts of my life, but I don't have an agent for cabaret. I just do do my own thing. And, and that's why I said, you know, you're the producer, you're the agent, you're the booker, you're the receptionist, you know, you're taking care of all of that. And honestly, I think it is really important to get education. Cabaret is something that intersects with so many different disciplines and some sort of education within any one of those is going to be valuable with within cabaret, but also specifically if you have the accessibility and possibility to study cabaret from someone who's been doing it for a while, of course, that's going to be very valuable because it is something that um, can seem like a really huge, inaccessible thing in a way because you think like, oh, how did that person get there? They're all by themselves on that stage. It looks like, oh, such a big thing. And it is. But in the way, it's like slow and steady wins the race like anything else. And it's like any other job in entertainment. You have to prove yourself and keep proving yourself and finding new ways to prove yourself. (laughs) But ultimately, I think what's really cool is like the learning never stops. And as far as going out there and being a professional in the world, I always say to my students, no one is going to take care of you take care of yourself. And the thing is, it's like, I hope they all have wonderful experiences where they are taken care of. But, you know, it's not necessarily going to always be the case. And you need to feel comfortable and powerful enough to speak up for yourself. Because again, not only are you representing yourself in your art, but you're like, you're the business side as well. You have to be able to have a voice within that too. Having a voice. I think that's a good place for us to bring the conversation to a close. That's all from this edition of Tramshed Presents. Our thanks to Ruby Jones for their insight into all things burlesque, queerlesque and cabaret, and to Andre Pink for bringing his expertise to the conversation. Do please give us your feedback on the show. You can do that in whichever podcast app you use. And be sure to join us for the next edition when we'll be speaking to the radical cabaret artist, Marissa Kaneski. Until then, that's it from Tramshed Presents. Thanks for listening. Thank you.